everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. As always, I'm Lisa Pettibone, a climate dieter who won't get quieter. This month, I thought I'd focus on perspective. When I was thinking of a title for this podcast, I thought it has to be called My Climate Diet, but that's mostly because I didn't want to seem to be forcing you, the listener, to join me in the first episode. I think we hear enough in the climate debate about things other people need to do, and it's really time to start with ourselves, because I think that that's the best way to motivate others, to show I'm going to take the first step, come with me. So if you're listening to me, I would hope that you're interested in reducing your emissions too, because I can do my part to help reduce carbon dioxide, but we're not going to get back down to 350 if I'm the only one on a diet. So I thought I'd open the door, so to speak, to other climate dieters who have tips to share. But first, this week, I want to answer some questions from a listener named Marjorie. I'm excited to start this month of perspective with Marjorie's letter because she includes several questions on issues I've struggled a lot with myself. I felt like a cross between Marty McFly and Ebenezer Scrooge, a time-traveling climate champion, as I read her letter. So I'd like to share it with you. Dear Lisa, I discovered your podcast this morning and just wanted to say that I find it really interesting. Well, thank you. I recently started a climate diet, and while I've managed to make some important changes, I find it difficult to make the best choices as far as reducing my carbon footprint for lack of knowledge and facts. I was happy to hear in your episode about buying local produce that you are better equipped to analyze the different choices and share the reasoning. One of the biggest problems I'm having is reducing my mobility impact. I am an American living in France, so I usually travel back to the US by plane at least once a year. And although I am able to walk to work every day, because we live in rural France, we use our car for everything else seeing friends and family, most of our shopping, vacation, etc. I am also curious as to how you calculated the savings in carbon emissions you will make by changing banks. Is it as simple as multiplying the total amount of money you deposit in your checking and savings account by the difference in carbon emissions per euro? There is about a 200 gram per euro difference between my current bank and the credit cooperative, which I'm interested in using. Finally, your item about carbon handprint caught my attention. I am an EFL teacher in the French school system, and I'm trying to imagine a way to make my students more aware of the climate crisis and encourage them to get involved. Thanks for your podcast. I'll stay tuned and will be encouraging my students to listen to you next school year. Best regards. Marjorie Millot. I'm not sure if it's Millot, Millet, Marjorie, sorry for totally butchering your last name. So here are my thoughts. First, thank you so much for writing. It's really great to hear that people are listening and getting what I'm trying to do with this podcast. You say that one of your problems is knowing where to start and what to do. You say it's a lack of knowledge and facts. That's why I'm here. I want to help. I've seen this problem again and again in my travels and talks with people. They don't take specific climate action because they don't know what to do. I know this is the same for me as well. There are a lot of things I haven't started with or haven't followed through on 
because the little bit that I've read seems unclear or because I haven't yet had the time to take a deep dive and figure it out. It also doesn't help that there are so many ways to measure environmentally friendly behavior. From the plastic grocery bag that uses fewer transport emissions than a paper bag to the farmed fish that protects ecosystems but increases pollution. It seems like there's never a good answer. So I hope that by thinking through some of these real daily challenges that we face, we can do a better job of making good choices, or at least understanding the consequences of the choices we make. Now, I just want to add that I'm not of the mindset that there's always a one right way and always many wrong ways. I think a lot of the answers and the solutions that you'll come up with in your climate diet are very personal to you. So let's take one of your biggest problems, which you say is mobility. This is a really big challenge in general and something I haven't talked about yet. The short, easy answer, and I think most people who care about the planet know this, is don't own a car and don't fly, right? One of my sustainability heroes is the founder of Premium Cola in Hamburg, a man named Uwe Lübermann, who decided not to fly ever. He knows what this means. It means he can't go on vacation to a lot of places, and it means he can't speak about his company in a lot of places. But he did the calculus for himself and decided it's worth it for him to stay within a travel radius that's reachable by train. But depending on where and how we live, as well as our priorities and interests, this isn't always feasible. This is something that I've struggled with a lot, similarly to you, that I'm an American and I live in Germany, which means if I want to see my family and my American friends, that means an international flight. This is perhaps one of the challenges of our globalized world. But let's look at some options. First, your car. The platinum answer would be to get a car that can run on biodiesel and fill it with waste oil, say from your local fast food shop. A less hands-on option is to get an electric car as long as your electricity provider is 100% renewable. Now here I know that France has a lot of its energy needs met by nuclear, something that the Germans are not so happy about, but that could be argued is carbon neutral. If you haven't looked into your electricity provider, this is something that's useful to do anyway. At the same time, if you go for an electric car, it takes about 10 years of use for the climate benefits of driving the car to outweigh the intensive material extraction and production process. So electric cars are not really the panacea that they're often claimed to be. Sometimes a good old fashioned fuel efficient model does the trick as well. The key here is fuel efficiency, which you often get by reducing the size of your car. But let's say you can't switch your car easily. Fair enough. Then you can look at your trips. Could you double up going to two or three places when you drive into town and drive there less frequently? Could you use other transportation at least some of the time? Take the bus once a week, bike on sunny days, carpool? If this is possible and something you're interested in, make a challenge out of it. 
And if the public transportation options are lacking, write your local public transportation office and tell them. This is a great example of the carbon handprint at work. Now, I think the biggest hurdle for your car travel is trying to figure out a solution that works for you, something that's not, you're doing it only for the climate, even though it's completely inconvenient in every other way, but to find something that's a benefit for you. So the way I like to think about it is to reframe the problem completely. So to give an example from my mobility life, because this is a challenge that I've faced as well, I thought, oh man, how am I going to go on vacation if I can't fly? And I reframed it by saying, where can I go on vacation that I want to visit that's easier to reach, not by plane? And I thought, I love hiking. I've never been to one of the German national parks. So I thought, wouldn't that be a great challenge for myself and a great opportunity to say, before my son turns 18, I want to take him to all of Germany's national parks. See how I flipped that. Now I have a positive goal. I have an exciting place I want to go on vacation that happens to not need me to fly. So if you can reframe some of your car travel into things like maybe you want to take a bike trip or go on a hike somewhere, anything where it's something you want to do and it doesn't need a car or a plane, or it's easier without a car or a plane, that's where you're going to make the most headway. Now, your international flights. The good news is, since you live in France, your emissions are likely about a quarter of the average Americans. So you could technically allow yourself one or more free flights back home once a year. But you're on a climate diet. So you don't want to take that option, right? That's the easy way out. Here I see you have two main options. Reduce your air travel or offset your emissions. Reducing your air travel is the most important and the cheapest. There are different options to offset your emissions. And here, if you're looking to do that, which you should do anyway, I recommend looking for groups that invest the money in renewables rather than those that plant trees. The research that I've read has said that the offsetters that plant trees have the additional challenge of what happens if the tree dies. So it's very hard to calculate carbon emission savings from tree planting. It's much easier to do it from renewable energy generation. So you're offsetting the emissions of the flights that you take. But that still doesn't completely solve this conundrum of international travel. And as I said before, this is something I've really grappled with a lot over many, many years. But I also work in the sustainability field. So to me, it's just not tenable anymore to say you're serious about addressing climate change if you're not willing to reduce your flying. At the same time, as I also said, it's something that's highly individual. So mileage may vary, so to speak. You have some people who, like my university students, they've never seen a lot of the world. So for them, going to Europe for the first time is really important. You also have... On the other side of the spectrum, business people who might take a weekend trip 
somewhere far away when they could have taken that same weekend vacation close by. So I guess what I'm trying to say in other words is you have the mileage of the trips you're taking and then you also have the necessity of that trip for you. And that's something that I can't weigh in on, right? I've talked to Germans who find it easy to stop flying internationally, but part of that is because their family and friends live nearby. So I'll tell you how I resolved this for myself. And this is another example of kind of finding the solution that to you is better, not just in terms of climate, but in terms of your personal happiness, right? That it meets needs beyond helping the planet. So what I do is I fly less often and I fly longer. So what does that mean? When I first looked at what I was doing in terms of international flights, I would fly back to the U.S. about once a year. So now I've cut it down that I try to fly internationally no more than once every two years. And when I do take a big trip, I take my time. So I budget two or three weeks rather than just one week so I can see as many people and things as possible. What's cool about this is one two-week trip is the same time as two one-week trips, but half the carbon emissions, and even better for me, half the jet lag. I absolutely hate jet lag. Again, you have to figure out what works for you, but it could be a fun exercise to calculate how many flights you've taken since moving to France and asking yourself if you can reduce that. Good luck. Now, to your bank question. You asked how I calculated the carbon savings from making the switch and said that you could save 200 grams of carbon dioxide if you switched banks. Before I answer this, my deepest apologies to everyone out there who's bad at math or afraid of numbers. I know I'm particularly bad at hearing math. I like to see things written out. So it's kind of perverse that I'm now doing a mathy podcast where I talk about math that you can't see. But this is fairly easy math, I promise. The savings you mentioned translate to one ton of carbon dioxide per 5,000 euro invested. This is roughly what I found with the German banks I talked about in episode 10. So if you leave your 5,000 euro parked in the Credit Cooperative for a year, you save one ton of carbon. 10 years, 10 tons. Easy as that. So it's exactly as what you suggested this calculation would be, that you multiply your money times the difference in emissions The only thing you have to add is the time, which here is a year. Theoretically, if you put 25,000 euro in the bank and you emit as much as the average French person, you'd become carbon negative, which is another reason climate finance is so powerful. Finally, you talk about increasing your carbon handprint by teaching your English language students about climate change. Yes, I, yes. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm sure you're already totally on the ball with this, but I can't help but share a few ideas. 
The first one is a German climate think tank and a design studio released an energy transition coloring book last year that's got great, easy to digest information on climate change. And it's a coloring book. So it could be a cool thing to pass out to students when you just have a few minutes left or if they finish something early. You can buy a copy at the book's website, myenergytransition.com. Or if you don't want to spend money, a really great free resource is Arizona State University, which has run every two years for the last four years, so twice, a really great contest for climate fiction. They've published all the finalists for free on the contest website as an HTML or as an ebook. I read the winning story from last year with a class that I taught and got some really great feedback from students. The website for that is climateimagination.asu.edu backslash everything hyphen change. And both of those web links are going to be on my website, myclimatediet.org. I'm sure you also have good resources that you've had luck with, so I'd love to hear about those as well. Again, thanks for writing. And good luck with your climate diet. What's giving me hope this week? So I used electric toothbrushes for about a decade. But last year, I read an interesting article about a small startup in Hamburg that makes zero water bamboo toothbrushes. Okay, so they make toothbrushes that are water neutral. And I thought that is such a cool idea. A toothbrush that doesn't require any water to produce and that you can chuck in the compost when you're done with it. So I made the switch. No big deal, right? Well, this week I went to the dentist for a cleaning and the dental hygienist asked if I use an electric toothbrush. So I told her, no, I use bamboo for sustainability reasons. She asked me a bit about it and I told her what I knew and then she cleaned my teeth. Before I left, she recommended that I use mouthwash for a few days, and I said, I use Listerine, is that okay? She responded, well, that's not organic. If you care about the environment so much, you should try an organic mouthwash. And that made me so happy. I've lately thought that I've kept my climate advocacy a bit in the closet over the years. I don't want to suggest that environmentalists are persecuted anything like those in the queer community, but that sometimes we choose to hold our tongues so as not to rock the boat. Maybe it's more like the way that polite people might not react to a racist joke. You don't want to come off as preachy, and the racist or anti-environmentalist will likely not be swayed by your opinion. But since I've been doing this podcast, I find myself speaking out more often about climate change and about things that I'm doing. So it made me really hopeful to have this interaction at the dentist this week, because it showed me that I can be open about my actions to protect the environment, that it can start an interesting dialogue, but more important, that I can learn something from others by being open myself. It was a really nice moment. So now I'm on the lookout for organic mouthwash. Next week. Next week, I'm going to share some tips from one of my former students. Thanks for listening. For links and more information about what I talked about this week, go to my website, myclimatediet.org. 
The music in this podcast is by David from Kvens. I'd love to hear from you too. So feel free to write me an email with your climate question or climate solution to lisa at myclimatediet.org. Rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, and consider starting a climate diet of your own. Because if we were all to go on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Atom Blau